Good morning, St. James. It's good to see you guys. Welcome to the uh, people watching on the live stream. Uh, we're glad that you're here too with us. Uh, look through the um, schedule today. Everything is on schedule except for there's no new members class uh, this evening. Besides that, everything is on schedule. Uh, Sandy's going to come and make an announcement real quick about uh, our Madison County Public Schools drive here. Good morning. So it's that time of year again, and we're going to be sponsoring um, many of the Madison County School children's Christmas. So right now we have about five families, 14 kids, but from what I understand, that number is growing pretty rapidly. So there's definitely a need for help for Christmas. So we are going to probably by the end of next week um, put something on Sign Up Genius and put it on the website so that you can pick a name and those folks that are online can order from Amazon and either send it to the church or send it to my home. We will need help wrapping and we're going to be providing these families with Christmas dinners as well. So if you would like to help, um, there's definitely a need and like we, we really need it. We're also going to try to provide each child with a stocking of their own, you know, filled up with goodies. So anyway, um, if you can help, it would be very appreciated, and we should have that up by right after Thanksgiving. Thank you. A couple of other quick announcements, and you can read about this. Uh, please read about this in the bulletin as well. Uh, Granite City uh, outreach to the that uh, to the shelter there that the youth group's been kind of spearheading. Uh, December 11th, uh, if you have any questions about that, we don't provide the food, Ravenelli, Ravenelli's provides the food, Ravenelli's, I can't say that right, provides the food for us. If you'd like to participate in that, get a hold of Stacy. Also, get a hold of Stacy about the youth group uh, prayer vigil for life uh, coming up here in a couple Tuesdays, and uh, those are good opportunities. Uh, one more thing, and then we'll get going, and I, I'm just going to run this past you guys. Uh, there's seriously no decisions have been made. But, but a lot of you are aware and have talked to me and talked to other people about the fact that we just don't have a lot of space here to do stuff. Um, we don't have any, hardly any educational space downstairs. We have these little tiny classrooms that you can fit a handful of kids in, and that's about it. And a lot of times, as the, if the weather's nice, we end up having some classes meet outside. We've had meetings here before where one group had to go sit outside to have the meeting. Uh, we don't have a lot of office space. We have one office, which the uh, office manager uh, uses. Some of you have been in my cubby hole downstairs, which I'm fine with. Me being an introvert, it's out of the way and it's quiet, but I, I can't do a lot of counseling in there because uh, I can't do any sort of family counseling in there, anything, anything more than a couple people, and it's uh, breaking all kinds of fire codes. We also, a lot of you are aware, we don't have any sort of gathering space. And so if the weather's nice, uh, we will stand around outside and talk, but if not, there's really no place to, to hang out. And so uh, on the 12th of December, we're having our annual congregational and budget meeting. And one of the things that we're going to ask you guys to approve is uh, enough money to hire an architect to present plans to deal with this problem. This is not a commitment to any sort of building program. It's just a commitment to hire an architect to talk about uh, doing something that would give us this much needed space. And so if you have any questions about that or comments about that or ideas, uh, please let me know. Again, it's up to you guys. This is not a decision that's been made. The congregation will make this decision. But I did want to throw it in front of you before we get to the day. So if anybody has any sort of feedback or comments, 
uh, please feel free to give those to me or any of the other elders or anybody who's on the property team. Okay, uh, let's stand, and I'm going to pray for us, and then we will uh, get into worship. So let's open up in prayer. Uh, Father, we confess to you that the only solution to any of our problems is the kingdom of your son, Jesus Christ. There are no political solutions. There's no economic solutions. There's no social solutions. There's only gospel solutions. And so all those things, Father, we know will fall into place if you come and meet with us, if you act to redeem your people, to redeem your world. And so this morning we pray that you would give us, in this next hour we have with each other, that you would give us a foretaste this experience, that you would send your son Jesus to meet with us here in person. As we all read your word together, as we all sing praises to you together, as we celebrate your uh, Holy Communion and you giving us yourself and the bread and wine, Father, we need you to meet with us. We ask you to do this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. Let's continue in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's confess our sin to God. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of your people today. We confess that we have worshipped too many other gods. We have devoted ourselves to all too many different values. Turn our hearts to you again. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of your people today. We confess that we have visited all too many sanctuaries We have tried to find the sources of life in all too many other places. Turn our hearts to you again, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Be the God of your people today. We turn to you and to you alone to be our God, our only God. Forgive our sins. Give us spiritual integrity. Give us wholeness and holiness. Answer us in the name of Christ. For he has promised to intercede for us. It is in him that we pray, in the fellowship of his body. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the gospel of Christ from 1 John chapter 2. John says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the expiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Amen. Please stay standing for the first hymn.
Read Psalm 93 with me. The Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 51. This is God talking here. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pistol reading is from uh, June, uh, last five or six verses here in, the, in his letter, his small letter. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
stand with me for the gospel reading. Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 13. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Check out the change of of direction here. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. That's always a, uh, it's a, a weird reading to like begin the sermon with, you know, stay awake. Uh, ironically, and I'm not going to tell you who it was, in the eight o'clock service, somebody fell asleep. And uh, I just had to, it was chuckled at the irony. But anyway, uh, last week on the way out of church, somebody asked me, and this is, I'm going to refer back to the sermon text from last week. Somebody asked me, um, have the birth pains already began? You know, so do, you, do you remember last week, Jesus is talking about the signs of when the temple is going to be destroyed. And he says, there's all this bad stuff that's going to happen. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be political uh, persecution. There's going to be oppression. Um, there's going to be rumors of wars. He, these are the beginning of the birth pains. And I, I don't want to preach the whole sermon that I preached last week, although it definitely is connected to this. This, this um, you know, the notion that, like, as Christians, the bad stuff that happens to us is birth pains is the way that Jesus wants to see uh, us to see our lives. Jesus wants to see our lives. Uh, Jesus wants us to see our lives connected to the cross. And so that means that the bad things that happen to us are birth pains. They're definitely bad. Remember that the birth pains are the worst pain a human being can feel. But it's not meaningless pain. It's pain that produces joy. It's pain that produces life. And so when Jesus says, Christians go through bad stuff. Remember specifically, he's talking about the temple that you guys value so highly is going to crumble. It's going to be thrown down by the Romans. What he's saying is, is that it's okay because that pain that you're experiencing, connected to the pain that my son experienced on the cross, is going to produce life and glory. Anyway, so... That, that was basically my sermon last Sunday. Somebody uh, walks out and they say, they say to me, are the birth pains happening now? And, and I wanted to make this clear, and I, I, I either didn't make it clear or the, the person was just checking to make sure. Because here's why. Because we have this notion that like tribulation and bad stuff is going to happen in the future. It's like, that's a, it's, it's very much, it's very much an, an American evangelical notion of like, 
life is good, and then there's tribulation in there before Jesus comes back. Most of the church across the world is way smarter than that. You know, they, they live life in tribulation all the time. But for us, for people who've had easy lives, we need to be told that no, the birth pains are happening now. And, and the reason why this is important is because when bad stuff does happen to us, we're convinced that, well, you know, Jesus is here to make our lives happy, and then our lives aren't happy, and so Jesus, where are you at? You, you're messing up somehow. No, no, birth pains, that's the way it's going. That's, that's what our lives are like. It's important for us to understand this. And uh, one of the reasons why is because um, when Jesus describes the birth pains here, you know, and like I say, a lot of us, we want to say, well, that's for the last days. This is a backwards way of saying what I just said. We're in the last days now. We're living in the last days. The, the, we've been living in the last days since Jesus said to the disciples, this is what you're going to experience. The last days aren't someplace out there. The last days are the period of time between Jesus' death and resurrection and Jesus coming again. That's what the Bible describes as the last days. So the last days, we're living in it now, and your grandparents were living in the last days, and your great-grandparents, and St. Augustine, Augustine, and St. Paul, and Jesus' disciples. Since Jesus died and rose from the dead, we've been living in the last days. Because when Jesus died and rose from the dead, that was it. That's the last chapter. Everything else since then is denouement. Everything else since then is just unpacking what does a world where Jesus is Lord look like? And it's definitely painful sometimes, but it's definitely glorious too. Birth pains. Every mom gets this. The pain of childbirth, you wouldn't miss that because of the glory and the privilege of having children. That's what Jesus is describing here. You want to proof, I'm going to give you proof text here uh, just because it's my job as a pastor to proof text you if I feel like I need to prove something. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. He's talking about the Old Testament and he's saying, you guys should all read the Old Testament. And he says, the Old Testament was written for our, for our benefit as the church. You should read the Old Testament. And when he says that, he says, he's talking about us, me and you, and you know, people in the, Paul and the people in Corinth. We upon whom the ends of the ages have come, he describes him. You guys are the ones upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Well, and so were Paul's friends in Corinth 2,000 years ago. We're living in the last days. We're living in the last days. Okay, that was kind of like an uh, introduction because what I want to do this morning is talk for a few minutes about um, Jesus' return, but also not seeing this text just about Jesus' return, but also about life in Christ right now. And I'm going to apologize in advance. I, I don't normally like to do this. This is going to be very information heavy and um, more luxury than not. And I, you know, I don't always like to do that, but I have to do it now because I, I'm going to try to argue against a common misunderstanding of this text. So uh, let me give you my two-point outline and then we'll get into the common misunderstanding. So the text talks about Christ's current reign here on earth, Christ ruling and reign, definitely in, in pain and like suffering. Christ ruling here and now does not mean that everything's great because that's the way the cross goes. The cross is pain and suffering that produces glory. We live in the cross, we experience pain and suffering, but it's going to produce glory. But also the text talks about Christ's future reign. Christ's future, universal, everyone knows that Christ is Lord of the universe. Unlike now, where Christ is definitely Lord of the universe, every square inch of the universe belongs to Jesus, not everybody recognizes it, and even those of us who are Christians aren't always recognizing it. We're looking forward to that day. Okay, so here's the common misunderstanding. I want you to look at verse 24 through 27. Uh, Let me read it one more time to you. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven 
and the powers in heaven will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of, the heaven, ends of heaven. Now, I want you to give me five to ten minutes to explain why that doesn't mean what you think it means. You think it means Jesus' is second coming. You think that it's a description. I know, I, I, I always, that's the way I was always taught this text. You think it's a description of when Jesus comes on the clouds, gathers up all the elect, the sun and the moon are blotted out, the world is destroyed. It's actually not. Can I tell you what it is? And you're not going to believe me. And that's going to be the fun of this next section. Although for some of you are going to be like, oh, this is kind of boring. Um, it's actually about Jesus' death and resurrection. All this stuff describes Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. Let me tell you what I mean. So first of all, there's three things in here that you're going to be like, nuh-uh. This is talking about Jesus coming again someday. The first one is this. You're going to see uh, um, verse 26. They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. You'll be like, that's clearly about Jesus coming back someday on the clouds with power and glory. But can I tell you why it's not? Because Jesus is not, he's not this is not the first time this line of reasoning is in Scripture. Jesus is quoting from Daniel chapter 7, okay? Now I'm going to go back to Daniel 7 and read a little bit of this for you. Daniel 7 is a weird, weird chapter. There's a weird vision. There's these four animals, and the four animals have weird body parts and shapes, and they're kind of crazy. And what Daniel sees these four animals, and it's in a vision. There's not really four animals. It's in a vision. But these four animals are like the four kings who are ruling over the earth, oppressing God's people and demanding ultimate allegiance. And Daniel, in his dream, he sees these four beasts, and they kind of have their way with everybody. But then there's a flip in the script. In verse 13, this is Daniel 7, in verse 13, Daniel sees in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven. So this is, this is the line that Jesus quotes. With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. So Daniel sees this vision, and in the clouds of heaven, there comes somebody who, he says, it's like a son of man. It's a, it's a human being. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. This Son of Man-like figure comes to God, the Father, and is presented before God. And to him, God gives to the Son of Man. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed." This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, that's me right now. I have come and God has given me all authority and that's what's happening now. Look, this is the only way, um, this makes, so in my mind, this makes way better sense of the next time Jesus uses this line. He's gonna use it again in just another chapter. He tells his disciples that and then he's gonna use it again in another chapter. Let me quote it to you in Mark 14, um, verse uh, 62 Jesus has been arrested, he's on trial, he's appearing before the, the, uh, the Jewish leadership council, and they're asking him a bunch of questions like, you know, basically, who do you think you are, and who gives you the authority to shut down the temple, and do you think that you're God, do you claim to be God? And Jesus says this, so, so they ask him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus says, check this, check this line out, it's kind of weird if you haven't like read Daniel 7 and then Mark 13, he says this, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He calls into place Daniel chapter seven again. Here's their response. Their response is not, oh, so you mean like in several thousand years you're gonna come back and do something, like you're gonna blow up the world, it's gonna be like a, you know, dystopia and there's gonna be a rapture. 
They don't say that. You know what they say? They say this. And the high priest, when Jesus says this, the high priest tears his garments and says, what further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? Now, what is Jesus saying? He is saying that I am connected to the Almighty God. I have such a close relationship with the Almighty God that his power is my power. That Daniel chapter 7, I'm the one who will rule over all the nations, and all the nations will bow down and worship me. And what Jesus says to them is, you will see that. You will see that. He's telling them what's about to happen on the cross, and he's saying, you are going to see that. This is, the, this also, this is the only way, really, that, that makes sense of this line back in our text, if you look back, in the, uh, back at your bulletin there, or if you're looking at the Bible. Back in Mark chapter 13 and verse 30, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Look, if this is talking about his second coming, then why is Jesus telling his disciples, your generation will not pass away until all these things take place? Well, the reason why is, it's a little uh, math for you, he's not talking about the second coming. He's talking about his death and burial and resurrection. Now, maybe you're like, well, why does he say it like that? Coming on the clouds with power, that doesn't sound like death, burial, and resurrection. Well, he's wanting to pull in this stuff from Daniel chapter 7 because he wants us to see that I'm not just dying because I'm merciful to you. I'm not just dying to pay for your sins, although that's important. I am dying because I want to rule the whole world. I am dying because when I die and rise from the dead, every nation is going to bow down to me. And you guys, he says to the Sanhedrin, you are going to see it. And he says to his disciples, look, you're going to be alive when this happens. Your generation won't pass away before you see this. He's talking about his first coming. Well, somebody's going to say, okay, so that's the whole Daniel 7 thing. I can buy that. Maybe I can buy that. But what about in verses 24 and 25? When This sounds like end time stuff. In those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in heavens will be shaken. That definitely sounds like the end of the cosmos. That sounds like the creation's falling apart. That must be when Jesus is going to come back and destroy the world, right? Okay, can I, can I beg you guys to, to hang with me? Because I will admit that this is going to be boring. And you should appreciate the fact that I announce my boring sections to you so that you can like, no, this is going to be boring. I need to like focus here. All right, when you see language like that in the Bible about the sun being blotted out and the moon turning to blood and massive earthquakes, I'm not saying that that's not ever going to literally happen, but it hardly ever is meant to be understood literally as literal sun being blotted out. All right, let me tell you why. Just hang with me. I'm not like denying the inspiration of scripture. Um, it's, it's a genre called apocalyptic. We don't have this genre in English. So, so none, of us, none of us does this. But in, but in Hebrew, in the Hebrew world, the Jewish world, they had, it's called apocalyptic. And what it does is it takes events, which on the surface look like normal, ordinary events, and it infuses them with cosmic meaning. All right. Jesus dying on the cross, is that an ordinary event or a very, very important event? Okay, this is church. Y'all are supposed to say it's an important event. Actually, if you ask a Roman soldier, ask a dude that's on the Roman execution detail in, in, in the garrison that's stationed in Galilee of Jesus' day, is it a normal event for a Jewish man to get, to, to get crucified? Yes, it is. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. The way that you can, as a Jew, one of the tools that you have when you talk about it to infuse it with cosmic meaning is apocalyptic language. I'm going to give you an example from the Old Testament, okay? 2 Samuel 22, David is singing this song, and the song is about how God made him king, and God got rid of all David's enemies. And that's, that's like a normal, ordinary political event. One king goes away, here comes David, and actually, if you, I just finished reading 1 Samuel for my devotions. 
uh, a couple months ago. It's just an order, like when David, literally when David became king, that's how it worked. Like the elders of Israel came to him and said, hey, you've always been a great warrior leader of us. We will want to make you king. And David says, okay, I'll, I'll be your king. That's, that's all that happens. But when David describes it, he wants to know it has, co- he wants you and I to know it has cosmic significance. Here's how he describes him being made king. He says this, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called and from his temple, he heard my voice and my crime my cry came to his ears. Listen to this. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth. This goes on and on. I'm just going to pick out a few things in here. Uh, he, he bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He made darkness around him as canopy. Thick clouds. Uh, out of brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare. Okay, when David was asked by the elders of Israel to become king, were there really massive earthquakes and the foundations of the earth laid bare and lightning storms and fire coming from heaven? No, but what David is saying is, is when I was made king, it had cosmic significance. And the cosmic significance is this. God promised me that I was gonna be the Messiah and that my kid was going to sit on the throne forever and ever and rule over the whole world. That's cosmic significance. This is not just another political, uh, you know, a political elevation. This is a Messiah coming. And so David puts this language in. Now, we have a little bit of this in English, but it's not, it's not developed like this. So in 1951, this is a baseball nerd alert here. In 1951, Bobby Thompson hits a home run off of Ralph Branca of the Dodgers to win a three-game playoff series and put the Dodgers, uh, put, put, the, put, put the Giants, the New York Giants, into the World Series. It was a dramatic home, home run, two outs in the bottom of the night. They were down. He hits the home run. The Giants win. They go on to, uh, to lose the World Series. But anyway, they win the pennant. And a journalist called that the shot heard around the world. The shot heard around the world. Okay, so let me ask you a question. When Bobby Thompson hit that baseball, did everybody in the whole world hear it? No, they didn't. The, the journalist was just like, was trying to say, this is the most dramatic, you know, prisoner of the moment journalism stuff. I apologize to all the journalists out there. He was just trying to say that this is, this is the most important event of baseball I've ever seen. It was the shot heard around the world. I'll give you, that's, a, that's kind of a lame example. I'll give you a better one. I was thinking about this a couple months ago, uh, you know, on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And, and when 9-11 happened, and even now when we look back on it, there was lots of talk amongst, you know, uh, uh, media, talking heads, politicians, ordinary people, about that being an earth-shattering event. Um, was 9-11 an earth-shattering event? Actually, some of you have trouble saying no. It was so powerful that you, would, like, you don't even want to say, well, not literally. Like You want to hold on to that language. Because for a lot, those of you who are alive, if, if, if there's anybody here or who was watching who knew somebody who suffered from it, it, it literally... Literally, I used the wrong word. I don't mean literally that way. It really was an earth-shattering event. Like, the globe did not shatter. <laughs> like, the, the, the earth still spinning around the sun. But it was an earth-shattering event. Why do we call it an earth-shattering event? We're taking an event, a plane crash, just bare bones, bare bone, bare bone details, and we're infusing it with the cosmic significance. The world that we live in now is different than the world that existed before 9-11. That's what people mean. That's apocalyptic language. So when Jesus says here, in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. What he's doing is he's saying, what I'm about to experience is going to have cosmic significance. 
Now, the fact that the son did go out briefly at Jesus' crucifixion is a nice way of God pulling literally into the language itself to say, everybody pay attention. My son is dying right now. All right, so it's, a, it's talking about Jesus' death and resurrection. But can I, give you, can I give you something else? I just thought of this this morning, actually, when we were reading the psalm. It's not talking about the future dissolution of the earth. Look, if you have it in your mind that Jesus is going to come back and blow up the whole world and everything's going to fall apart and then we're all going to live in heaven, that's not what's happening. Let me pull a psalm reading again here. Did everybody catch this in Psalm 93? It's an interesting line in, uh, I want to say it's in, sec- in the, uh, the second verse. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. The world is established, it shall never be moved. What does God mean there? I'll interpret that. He means the world is established, it shall never be moved. Like God is not going to blow up the earth someday. God is committed to fixing this earth, not blowing it up. So when Jesus does end of the world language, what he's saying is, is my death and resurrection, cosmic significance. This literally should be the shot heard around the world. The death heard around the world, the resurrection heard around the world. And in fact, it has, right? Because here we are sitting in Glen Carbon on the other side of the world 2,000 years later, confessing that our king, our ultimate authority, is a Jewish construction worker. Third thing you might have noticed in here is verse 27. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And you might say, okay, so that definitely is Jesus returning and giving, gathering up all his people from all over the world and they're, gonna, and they're gonna be with him forever. Actually, that's not how the disciples would have heard it. I'm sorry. When Jesus uses this language, it's very, very much end of exile language. So some of you guys know this story. Give me, I'm a 30-second review of Old Testament history. God's people, Israel, disobeys God. They're put into exile. The Babylonians take them over. The Assyrians blow a bunch of them up. And now they're separated from God's land. They're separated from God himself. They're living in slavery in Babylon. But there's this voice going throughout the Old Testament, starting at Deuteronomy, going all the way through Malachi, saying it's not going to end that way. It's not going to end that way. Someday God is going to gather up his people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and he's going to put them in his land. Let me give you just a little bit of example of this. Again, I got it. it's my job to proof text you. Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses says that someday you're going to rebel against God, Israel, and he's going to put you into exile. But when you repent, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again. Here's language that Jesus is using. He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If you're outcast, you're in the uttermost parts of heaven. From there, the Lord your God will gather you, and from there, he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. What Jesus is saying is this. I'm going to die and rise from the dead so that I can start gathering my people back home again. I'm going to start gathering my people back to me. And that's what he does. He's got 12 Jewish men right here and, and the Jewish women who are with him who say, yes, you are our Messiah. We will follow you. And then in the book of Acts, you see little trickles of Gentiles. You see the eunuch from Africa coming in. You see Cornelius from Rome coming in. And then the pace starts to quicken. And you see more and more Gentiles come in to where you get to the point where Paul's writing the book of Romans or the book of Galatians. And he's grappling with the problem. We have more Gentiles in this Jewish church than there are Jews. What are we going to do about that? And it quickens and it quickens and it quickens till you and I are sitting here from all different kinds of ethnicities and people groups, worshiping and saying that the king of the Jews is our king too because when Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended, he began gathering all his people from the four corners of the world. That's what's happening right here, right now. Now, I'm not saying that there's not any sort of validity to the notion 
that someday when Jesus returns, there's going to be some sort of gathering. But the gathering has already started. The Son of Man coming on, power, on clouds with power and great glory. That's already happening. It happened on the cross. It's happened for the past 2,000 years. It's happening right now, right here in Glen Carbon. Now, why is it important that I, so I'm done with all the informational stuff now, and I realize that, that wasn't some of your bag, but why was it important that we do that? And the reason why is this, is because some of us Christians have this mindset. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to have an optimistic view of the kingdom and not a pessimistic view. Some of us Christians have this mindset that the Christian church is this small, weak thing, and we're, you know, you just try to be faithful, and you kind of hunker down here behind our Lutheran walls, but we're dwindling and dwindling, and some of the old timers are dying, and then some of the young kids are leaving because we're not cool anymore. But it's, it's their fault because we're just preaching the truth, and they, they can't deal with it, and we're getting smaller. And so every once in a while, you'll go out, you know, and you might leave a gospel track on the table at Denny's. But usually, we're just kind of like just waiting for Jesus to come back and make everything right. And what Jesus is saying here is, I've already made everything right. I am the Lord of heaven and earth. I am the son of man who's come from the right hand of the Father, and now all nations will bow before me, including your nation, Glenn Carbon. And what we need to do is we need to have an optimistic view of the kingdom. Jesus has determined that the kingdom is going to grow. He's determined that the kingdom is going to not shrink. Now, I'm not saying that everything's going to get better and rosy. That's not true. Things might get economically, politically, persecution-wise, whatever, relationally worse, but more and more people are going to come underneath the authority of Jesus Christ all the time. It's guaranteed because the kingdom of God is more powerful than the kingdom of the world. The Son of Man beats the four beasts every time. Every time. And we have to live in that. More on that in just a second. Okay, now that I've said all that, can I say that this text does talk about the second coming too? Can you jump down with me to uh, verse 32? Now, do, do you notice that the, do, I, I, there's a change in tone and direction here? First of all, the word but. If you're talking about one thing and you want to change topics and talk about something else, the word but is a great conjunction for doing that. He's been talking about the question that they had. How will we know when the temple's going to get destroyed and you are vindicated? And the answer has been what we talked about the past few Sundays. And that, but now he comes in and he says, but, he's going to answer a different question and the question is this, but that day or that hour no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the son but only the father. We'll come back to that in just a second about the son not knowing. But let me just point out this, is that Jesus, up to verse 31, has been saying, I'll give you a sign. You want a sign? I'll give you signs. The Son of Man is going to be vindicated. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars. Families are going to fight with you. He's been giving them signs. But now he says, but I don't got any signs for you on this one. Nobody knows what I'm talking about next. Nobody knows when that's going to happen except for the Father, not even the Son. 30 seconds about that. I don't have time to unpack that theologically. The New Testament writers are fairly clear that when Jesus becomes a human, he decides to give up certain prerogatives of glory. Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, that Jesus emptied himself, becoming like us, taking the form of a slave, so that he could die for us. Now, does that mean that Jesus is not God? No. Does it mean that Jesus does give up some prerogatives of divinity? Glory, to some extent, maybe knowledge? I, that is what it means. Okay. That's a, that's a whole sermon in itself, but we're not going to talk about that. Okay, I just want to point this one thing to you. Let's say that you're Mark, and you're writing this book, the Gospel of Mark, and you're trying to prove to people who read it that this Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed, like the Sanhedrin, like he said to the Sanhedrin. Would you include something like this in here, where the Messiah says, I don't know, stuff that the Father knows? 
Probably not. It's a pretty good indication. I think it's a pretty good indication that Mark is a faithful witness. This has not been dressed up by the later church to monkey around with uh, what really happened in history to like prove to people on the sly that Jesus is somebody that he never claimed to be, but we try to make him this because we make money if you come to our churches. It seems to me pretty clear that Mark is an honest witness. Okay, that was a side note. We'll move on from there. Okay, this is talking about uh, the second coming of Jesus, this time in the future that the Son of Man doesn't even know. He clearly knows when he's, that he's about to suffer and die. He's predicted it three times in Mark. But he doesn't know about this final return. He does say this, though. Here's the, here's the main thing he wants you to take from this. Um, verse 33, be on guard, keep awake. Verse 36 and 37, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake. Jesus is coming back. So you, see, you see the two strains here in the gospel reading? Jesus has already been vindicated as Lord of all. He's already active now and the kingdom is growing. But at some point, he's coming back again. So stay awake. There's three things I want to say about this and then we'll be done. The first thing, baseline is this. The only way to really access this is through faith. I mean real genuine faith, not theological assent. Right? So if I said, if those of you who are Christians, if I said to you, do you believe Jesus is coming back? Almost all of you would be like, yes, Jesus is coming back. I'm talking about, do you really live it? Like, do you really live like Jesus is coming back? Or do you agree that Jesus is coming back, but if actually he walked in that door right now and said, I'm here, I'm ready to make all things new, would, would, would you be like, holy, I didn't think it was going to happen today maybe? I don't know. Would we, would we be gobsmacked by it? And what Jesus wants us to do is to stay awake and to live our lives as though he were coming back at any minute. Keep on the lookout. Now, I, I, he doesn't mean, you know, go out and look up in the sky and be like, you know, five times a day. Do I see him? No, okay. I'll check again in a couple hours. He means something else. I'm going to give you two applications. There's probably a, a bazillion of them. I'm going to give you two applications just so we can be done pretty quick here. What does it mean to live life in faith that Jesus is on his way back? One thing it means is your holiness will be affected if you believe that that's the case. Your, the, the way that you live, the way that you obey God's law will be affected by your belief that Jesus is coming back. By your belief that Jesus is Lord and he's on his way back. That's what he, this is the story he tells. A little parable, mini parable, right? It's like a man going on a journey, he says, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening. Well, we don't have doorkeepers anymore. I don't, like if you're going to like a school or something, sometimes at the front of campus, there'll be like a guardhouse, you gotta check in. But, but it's, it's like that, you know, like there's security out there and they're keeping watch, and it's the security's job to keep watch and make sure. In, in, in this case, the master's on his way back, and so like, you don't know when he's coming back, so make sure you're awake at night so he can get back in when he shows up there. Like, this, is, this is super important. This changes the way that you behave if you believe that Jesus is on his way back. All right. Uh, smartphone confession. Angela says, Angela says, I gotta go somewhere. Can you do me a favor, and can you unload the dishwasher before I get back? And I said, yes, I'll do it. And then, thanks to the magic of my iPhone, I can see, like, I'll find my, find my iPhone. I can see where she's at. And when she's, you know, on her way back and 10 minutes away, then the mad scramble starts, right? So, so before iPhones, I just had to do it as soon as she left because I didn't want to get caught with the dishwasher full when she got back. There is no find my second coming app on your phone. 
we don't have the luxury of knowing. And so stay awake. Empty the dishwasher. Not because it's going to make him, not because your eternal destiny depends upon the dishwasher being emptied or not emptied, but because he's on his way back. And don't you want, when he returns, don't you want the dishwasher emptied? Do you want, when Jesus returns, do you want him to find you in a tiff with your neighbor? When Jesus returns, do you want him finding you mouthing off to your wife or speaking poorly to your kids? When Jesus returns, do you want him finding you making the decision to take some stuff from work that you shouldn't be taking? When Jesus returns, do you want him to find you looking at porn? I'm not telling you that you're outside of the kingdom if he comes back and all that stuff is happening. I'm just telling you, you don't want that. Stay awake. Spiritually awake. The last thing will be done, I, I mentioned this earlier, it's mission. Like, if Jesus is active now, if Jesus has already come on the clouds with great power and glory, and Jesus is active now as Lord of the universe, and he's coming back to make all things new, should we not be on mission? Kevin talked about this in the Bible study for those of you who are, who are here. Like, unity making an emphasis on mission. Kevin making it like a, a personal life choice based upon where he was teaching on mission. The Christian church is hardly ever on mission for whatever reason. And one of the reasons is, is because we think nothing's happening right now. Well, Jesus will come back someday and fix everything. But right now, we just got to kind of hunker down and like lay low and make sure that we're all safe. But there's two different types of churches, which is a stupid thing to say because there's a bunch of different types of churches. And I always hate it when people say, you know, there are two different types of toothpaste or two, two different types of shooting guards or whatever it is. There's two different types of churches. One that believe that Jesus is active in the world and that the gospel works and the other that don't believe that Jesus is active in the world and the gospel doesn't work and are hoping, believing and hoping that someday he will come and fix things. The churches that are on the second hand, that aren't on mission, self-destruct. The churches in the second group who don't believe that Jesus is active, guaranteed are going to die. There are a lot of churches, even in this area, that are dying. Like, there's a lot of people that live in the St. Louis area. There's lots of needs for churches. The only way a church should die is if a church willingly says, we don't believe in mission. Just kind of hang out here and wait till Jesus comes back or wait till we all die. That's the surest way to kill a church. The other option, though, is to believe that Jesus is active and that he is in the business of, in our context, he is in the business of saving Glen Carbon. Do you believe that there are people who live in this neighborhood over here and back here and over there that have been called by Jesus' name and that he is determined to save, and that he has called us to go there, and all we gotta do is be in their lives. And maybe it'll take years, and maybe it won't be easy, but if we're in their lives, Christ will bring them to his church. Do we believe that? If we do, then why aren't we doing it? Maybe we don't believe it. Maybe we aren't awake. But there's this Keith Green song. You gotta be a certain age to, to know Keith Green songs. But there's this Keith Green song, and one of my daughters makes fun of this line. But in the, in the, uh, it's talking about Jesus and it's talking about mission. And it says, Jesus rose from the dead and you, Aaron Miller, you can't even get out of bed. Think about the incongruity of that. Do you think that Jesus rose from the dead so that we can all be friends here? Well, let's have some potlucks every once in a while. And then, you know, a nice safe place for our kids where they're not in contact with the icky world. And then we'll slowly die. Do you think that Jesus rose? Think about the power that went into Jesus rising from the dead. Think about the power it takes to take a dead man's blood and to make it start coursing back through veins again. Think about the cosmic power that's behind it. Do you think that Jesus did that 
so that we could kill this church by not, be, by not caring about mission? Absolutely not. He loves you so much. He's called you to be like his son Jesus. As the Father sent me, so send I. This is, the last, this is honestly the last line I have to say to you on our, on our Gospel of Mark reading. We're done right now, so I'm, gonna, I'm trying to make this, I'm trying to lay it on a little, a little bit thick here. Jesus loves Glenn Carbon so much, and he loves St. James so much, and he wants us to participate in his life. And he's the kind of God who has come and will continue to come here in Glen Carbon on the power, on the clouds with power and great glory. And he says, St. James, you get to be a part of this. You get to be a part of my kingdom growing. Let's do it. Let's do it. Not, we don't have to do anything. Jesus is doing all. Let's just go be with him. Let's be on mission. That's the promise that he's made. His kingdom is the kingdom that rules over all nations, including Glen Carbon. All right, stand with me and we'll pray, then we'll have communion together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us and for being such a good God to us. We thank you for uh, pouring out your Holy Spirit on us. We thank you for calling us to this mission. We thank you for the resurrection power of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your commitment to Glen Carbon. Of all the little podunk towns in the whole world, Father, you would take a care for this one. And of all the lousy little nobodies in the whole world, Father, you would care for me. And here you are, the God of the universe who's causing Jupiter to rotate the sun right now, who's causing the tiniest molecules and the tiniest atom somewhere to consist right now. You care about us and you want us to participate in your life. God, will you please, Father, I'm asking this in the name of your son, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you please let us be on mission with you here in Glen Carbon? Lead us and direct us and guide us where you want us to be. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I pray for everyone this morning, all of our members and everybody in our area too who's struggling with health issues, those who have COVID, those who have other sicknesses, those who are struggling with diseases, those who are struggling with broken bones, those who are in therapy and are working hard to, um, to get back to normal and get back to healing. I pray for those who are struggling with relational issues, uh, broken homes, uh, kids who um, fighting with their parents, parents fighting with their kids. Uh, neighbors fighting with each other, people here even in the church who are not uh, on the same page with each other. Father, will you heal all those? All the financial issues, Father, the, the needs that all of us have, will you take those into consideration? And by the power of your son's resurrection, will you fix those as well? Lord, we need your help so bad. We need your resurrection power so bad. We don't need more information. We don't need a how-to manual. We don't need lessons even. We need you to rescue and save us. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray for all of our sister LCMS churches in the area as your word is being preached and as your people are praising you now and celebrating the sacrament together. We pray that you would bless all of us. Help us to see your kingdom grow. We pray for every Bible-believing church here in the Edwardsville, Glen Carbon area, across the world too, but especially here in Edwardsville and Glen Carbon. We want to see your kingdom grow here. We want to see everyone acknowledge you as the Lord of the universe, to bow the knee to your son willingly, and in worship. Father, will you do that? Will you allow our churches to see that together? Lord, in your mercy. We pray all these things because your son loved us so much that he gave up his life to justify us and to sanctify us and to glorify us. And now he sits at your right hand and he brings us with him. And we can sit on your lap, Father, and bring our requests to you because you've invited us to think of you and to know that you are our Father and that we are your children. And so we pray this prayer in the name of our brother Jesus. Amen.
Confess your faith with me with the words of the Nicene Creed found in the bulletin. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day He rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And He will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Now let's pray together in Jesus' name, the prayer that He taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
stand. Now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Look around, find somebody you haven't talked to recently or somebody you don't recognize. Build a relationship. Go in peace.